from the time somebody walks through the door or they pick up the phone, you really only get one chance to make a first impression. Mm -hmm. We live in a world in New York City of over 900 boutique fitness studios, and so every touch point needs to make somebody feel good. You walk out with an emotional feeling, and if that feeling is not happiness, like right. why come back? I have another 899 options to go check out. I want to welcome Carrie Sadowitz to Halo Talks NYC. We are here with her as the founder of The Fitting Room, which she started in 2012, has three high-end, high-intensity training boutiques in the city that everyone's talking about. So we're excited to have you on the program. Excited to be here. Excellent. So why don't you um, take our listeners through your background? Obviously, it's a, you've got a very unique background from uh, being a fellow HBSer and, and working in the corporate world and then having the epiphany to, uh, to say, hey, this is what my passion is. I'm going to follow it into a profession. So sure. take it away. Okay. I refer to myself as an accidental entrepreneur. Oh, I like that term. Yes, and this is my career renaissance. So lots of terms to describe how I got to where I am. This, there'll be a buzzword quiz at the end of this <laughs> right. for, my, for all of our listeners. Uh, so I went to business school undergrad and wanted to work for a large brand in marketing, strategic management, worked at American Express for a few years and then went back to business school, loved brand management, wanted to still do work with consumer brand, big brands, um, big marketing initiatives, worked at Pepsi for about five years, thought it was the best job ever, loved it, got to touch some really amazing projects, work with super smart people, super passionate, loved the brands, loved what they did, um, I loved what I did, and then I actually had my first child, who's turning 10 this fall. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Does it go to summer camp? Uh, not sleepaway camp. Not. But wow. Okay. That'll, we'll cover that on another camp. program. Yes, that's a whole other thing. Okay. Um, and so I actually stopped working, thought I'd be a stay at home mother until my kids were kind of old enough to take care of themselves after school and things like that. Um, so I had another son two years later. So here I was home with two boys, uh, which was really fun and it was really great, but it was not, um, not fulfilling everything for me personally. And I had a friend who approached me about doing some work for a small marketing agency that she owned, and Pepsi was one of their clients. So she kind of positioned it as, you could do this work in your sleep, um, but like I could use the help, and it'll be good for you to get out of the house. So that was sort of my first foray with just changing my mindset from I'm going to be a stay-at-home mother to I'm going to be a working mother, um, which was a, a really big mind shift for me personally. Um, so that kind of got me out of the house. Once I was out of the house, um, it was just really easy for me to jump right back into talking about businesses and business ideas and brands and marketing and all of these things that I've been so passionate about for you know a long time. Um, and I was working out with a personal trainer at the time, and he was getting his MBA. So you know, we used to talk about case studies and different business problems. And along the way, SoulCycle sort of became like a really you know tremendous cultural phenomenon. And at the same time, CrossFit was also becoming quite a cultural phenomenon. And um, what I saw was just like really interesting looking around at consumers and how they were using different options in the fitness space. So you know, there were tons of people who were going to SoulCycle and they were having the time of their lives and they were talking about instructors and music and the, the specific classes and locations. And um, many of them had personal trainers as well. 
And I said, well, like, that's interesting. You know, like, why do you have both? And they would talk about, you know, different, different aspects of their fitness that were being fulfilled by each. So then I said, well, if you love working out in a group, why not go to like a CrossFit box? And uh, there was like a whole segment of people where, you know, that was an intimidating experience or, you know, they didn't necessarily want to do barbell work. And, um, you know, I, I said, okay, so interesting, you know, like you're working with a personal trainer, but you're fulfilling all these other needs when it came to socialization and community, um, entertainment, like uh, just really amazing personal needs that they were getting out of like the boutique fitness landscape. So my trainer and I talked for probably about a year before like really taking the idea seriously. Um, now, did you, while you were with your trainer and you were, you were coaching him on, on the MBA right. so, he was taking, was there some kind of barter arrangement or you were paying and you were actually his, his mentor and, and Yeah, tutor? it was just sort of like a really mutually beneficial experience. So for me, it was like a break from my kids, which was really, you know, the majority of my time and talking about all these topics that really intrigued me. And for him, you know, he was like feeling things out as he was studying business and uh, which was all new learning for him. And so we started to talk about like taking all these amazing aspects of a personal training session. So education, correct form, doing movements properly, being able to coach somebody through like prenatal, postnatal, injury recovery, um, you know, which really you get out of a one-on-one -on -one session. But how do you combine that with all these you know, awesome elements of group fitness. So it's social. I go with my coworkers. I go with my friends. I go instead of having drinks at night. I go, you know, after I drop my kids off at school. And that was really sort of the, the insight behind the fitting room was taking the best aspects of a personal training session, the best aspects of a group fitness experience, and like living at that intersection. And, and given your experience at, at Pepsi and kind of taking a, a look at whether it's the data or you know, customer survey groups, you were kind of like in the middle of this new phenomenon and trying to figure out, you know, what's the behavior, what's the psychology, what's the pricing model, why are my friends doing this? You know, does that make sense from a, from a business model standpoint? Maybe to talk, talk a little bit about how your experience at, at Pepsi and like your business school and how your brain's kind of been changed of how you look at things yeah. and maybe be more of like a naysayer and say, okay, this is a fad or the data doesn't prove this or like maybe it's too early or this is a trend up, you know, ha explain how like you think about things. Right. So first and foremost for me personally is I feel like I look through everything through the lens of a brand, right? So every detail mattered very early on. I had my head instructor read Steve Jobs's book. I had my HR person read Steve Jobs's book. And I said, sometimes I'm going to obsess about a detail that you find like so trivial, but all these little details are gonna add up to like a bigger statement about what we are and what we're doing. So everything for me was like not about a workout or you know, a guest relations experience or the best towel. It was about like this really holistic consumer experience. So everything's through that lens. Um, as far as the actual business model, that, I mean, it really evolved a lot. So you know, what was the business model on day one on paper is very different than the business model today. We made um, a lot of changes along the way with a lot of our processes, with our programming, uh, with even the layout of the room. The original studio only held 12 people. Uh, we thought it would hold 16 people. We initially started the business model with one trainer and we were going to have that trainer have assistance to kind of develop the assistance in how to instruct this methodology of a workout. And as soon as we put two trainers into a room, we saw 
a lot of magic happen. So, um, you know, a trainer could actually speak to somebody who came in and, you know, was prenatal about, you know, they should do a different exercise than somebody else was doing, or somebody comes in and they're recovering from a knee surgery and that, you know, that they should do an alternate movement. And so all of a sudden we had in reality, a studio that held for less people than we expected. Mm -hmm. And we doubled the number of trainers in the room than what we expected. And so we really shifted our future studios to match like what became like the real heart and the real essence of the business model. Right, so when when you started to think about, when you started developing the original business plan and and it's kind of unique and even though it was only, you know, four years ago, it wasn't like, well, I'm gonna be the you know, the, 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 the high intensity soul cycle. I mean, you were really like kind of creating from scratch your own blueprint of what you wanted to affect because you thought there was a need for personal training component, you know, in, inside of a high intensity, you know, highly customizable and, and flexible work environment, it sounds like. Yeah. So I would say from a branding perspective, you know, right. we certainly looked at soul cycle and how they were delivering consistency in terms of a consumer expectation and a consumer experience, right? So studios are going to look a certain way and certain elements are going to be in every class and a certain vocabulary. But outside of some of those cues from a workout perspective and the paradigm that we were following, it was, you know, really very different. And did you ever, you know, come across, you know, a conversation with your team and say, okay, you know, look, there's 66 bikes in this room. Here's what the unit economics of that class look like. Here's what the unit economics of our class look like. How, how did you, you know, kind of overlay your your analytical tools to say, okay, well, that's what they do, and this is what we're going to do, and this is, you know, the revenue per class and some of the things that you think about. Maybe share that yeah, so with those, us if they're not too, too much of a Yeah, secret. those conversations happen all the time. Um, a lot of times uh, those conversations happen between my husband and I, like over okay. a dinner table. Uh, you know, he, you know, basically helps advise on the business and was certainly our biggest investor. Uh, and so, you know, we talk about trade-offs all the time between a size of a class and the business model for us. Uh, and, and I'm very transparent with my team. You know, I'll, mm-hmm. I give math lessons every once great. in a while. Yeah, that's, that's, that's so um, we'll do, we do instructor meetings monthly and I would say maybe once or twice a year I'll do a math lesson, taking them through the value of an incremental person in every class, what that means to the system, the value of if we can introduce one more class time you know, at a particular location, what that looks like cumulatively by the end of the year. So that as they're making decisions and building relationships with clients, they understand like the magnitude mm-hmm. of you know, all of their actions. Um, and I think you know, when everybody understands the drivers of the business, and that, hey, it's actually more to the bottom line to have one extra person in each class than it is if I were to increase prices by $1 across the board. That is like really eye-opening for right. a team. So once where, they- where, got, where do these, these conversations happen? Is there a, you know, a, a say to what's whiteboard that, yes. that everyone comes in and they say, okay, it's math class? Uh-huh. I put on my glasses down. and I sit down with a spreadsheet nice. and I put it up on the whiteboard. And so I've done it for the trainers two or three times. I've done it for my- front desk team twice uh, since we've opened. And it really, you know, it's interesting because the way I look at it is when I'm telling a trainer like, oh, you should really post on social media. It's great for your personal brand and it'll help drive the business. And if the business does well, that helps, you know, that returns back to you. Um, But it's one thing to say that. It's another thing when they really understand like, wow, if I could bring one more person into a class, this has like significant impact on the bottom line as opposed to, 
if we just raise the price across the board by a dollar on every class, which sounds like it would be a huge win, um, it, it's really, it's like, you know, it's very concrete. Like they can wrap their arms around that. And for our, you know, customer relations team, you know, when they understand some of the logic behind sticking to like cancellation policies or the value of flexing on a cancellation policy because the lifetime value of a really loyal client is more important than that one class credit, right? So when do you give, when don't you give? Um, if you're about to close down at the end of the night and you know, you've been working a long shift and you're about to leave and you see somebody late cancels out of a class for 6 a.m. the next morning and there's a wait list, do you go like, I'm gonna pretend I didn't just see that happen and still leave? Or do you spend an extra five minutes sending an email to everybody on the wait list trying to fill that spot? Gotcha. And if you don't understand like the value of what that means to the business mm -hmm. and that that will directly then you know, impact your future income and earnings with the business, why would you stay, right, that extra 10 minutes after closing? But if you understand it and you're like, wow, this is gonna like really drive the business, which can in turn pay back to me personally, sure. I'm totally gonna stay. Right. So, yeah. How, how did you, when, when you started in, in the fitness industry, and obviously you, you were at Pepsi, so when a product is, is in a can or in a bottle, you know, it represents itself the way you wanted it to. Um, so when you have people that are, that are coming in to work for you and they've, you know, they're putting the fitting room brand on their shirt and they're, you know, they're the first line of, of, um, communication with a prospect or with your current members, how do you engender to them? Like, this is how I need you to operate. This is how I need, this is the eye contact I need you to have. Like, how, how do you, I, I think every communication is like a, a, a brand, you know, tell, yeah. if you will. Absolutely. Um, I mean, a lot of it is like really candid upfront conversations about, you know, the fact that we see ourselves as a brand. It's not just a fitness studio. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not somebody who's been in fitness my whole life, whose ultimate lifelong dream it was to open a fitness studio. I'm somebody who like loves brands and delivering an amazing consumer experience. So I think like immersing them just in the fact that, you know, it's an entire experience and from the time somebody walks through the door or they pick up the phone, you really only get one chance to make a first impression. Mm -hmm. We live in a world in New York City of over 900 boutique fitness studios. And so every touch point needs to make somebody feel good. Um, and that goes for the classes too. Uh, you know, it's like somebody doesn't leave at the end of the day and have like a physical transformation or, you know, they don't walk out and go, oh, I'm never going to get heart disease, right? You walk out with an emotional feeling. And mm -hmm. if that feeling is not happiness, like right. why come back? I have another 899 options to go check out. Right. So um, really entrenching people in that mindset and then carrying it forward in like my own actions. So in interviews, I always ask the team about like their personal goals, not just their professional goals and try to like help further whatever those personal mm -hmm. goals are. For someone, it might be being a fitness model. For somebody else, it might have to do with, um, you know, running their first marathon. Like, you know, whatever it is, I try to like help support those because my belief is if somebody's happy personally, they're happy professionally. And then being super transparent with feedback. So if I hear somebody saying something on the phone or to a client, you know, waiting until we have, you know, private time and then saying like, hey, listen, like, you know, it'd be much better if you phrase it like this and here's why. Um, but being just as transparent with positive feedback so that when right. love letters come in from clients telling you how you've changed their life, whether it's emotionally or physically or 
from a self-confidence standpoint, sharing it like word for word, like mm -hmm. just forwarding to the team. Like, you know, at Christmas every year, you're like I love reading to the team. We do like story time too in our team meetings. It's like nice. I'm like much hokier with my team than I am with my kids. Yeah, that, I don't like, think that was in a business school class. It's like, really it's amazing. Really my kids nice. would tell you like I'm kind of much more like robotic and I'm the disciplinarian. My team is like, oh, she's like so mushy. Like really? you know, I nice. get in and I read love letters because then when a really bad piece of feedback comes in and you want to share that and ha like see change immediately, it's not like shell shock. It's sort of like, well, that's okay because like most of it's really great and reaffirming. Right. And so, you know, you have like a much more receptive audience to, you know, taking constructive feedback. So let, let's, uh, I want to pick up on one of the things you said about there's 899 other potential options that someone can, could affect, uh, you know, to get the results that they're potentially looking for. One of the questions that a lot of people have in the industry right now is they come in here and they say, I'm going to do this type of fitness boutique and it's going to have this little twist on it. Um, you know, given your background and like looking at the competitive nature of, of businesses and, you know, radius of like where these, these companies should be situated or like what's, what's the open space or mm -hmm. the, the, the white space. Um, how do you think about if, if you were to come into the industry today and say, okay, I'm going to do the fitting room. You know, do you think that you might've come out with a different conclusion? Like maybe that's already been, um, addressed as like a, as a workout option. Obviously you got in, you got in at the right time yeah, we were with the right, uh, team and the right locations and, and the right buzz and, and the branding and everything you've done has created a formidable business. But it, you know, right now we, we have a lot of people that come in here and they say, Hey, I want to do this one and that. And I kind of say, well, I don't know how that's differentiated. Maybe you're, that's, that, that's five years. You, you missed that. So how right. do you think about when people say, Hey, I want to do this, you know, Carrie, can you just help me, you know, think about, you know, what my business model should be. Do you, do you sometimes say, look, you know, maybe come work for me or <laughs> go find a job. Like don't start up your own business. Like it's a lot harder than you think. I mean, I definitely tell people it's a lot harder than they think. I think everybody thinks like, oh, fitness is booming and you know, all I need is like a concept and it's going to be amazing. I personally think we'll see consolidation. Um, but I also think we'll like, there'll always be room for a great concept. Like when I look at what we do, the interesting part is our movements, our equipment, our workouts, it's based on science that's been around for hundreds of years. The equipment has been around for the most part, minus like a ski erg, which is sort of like an innovation off of a rowing machine, has been around for hundreds of years. Like kettlebells go back to like, you know, the 1800s or something. Um, and they're really, I mean, they go back so far, um, but it's really effective movement. And I think for us, like the white space wasn't this like quirky twist on something right, right. that, you know, next year may or may not still be intriguing to people. It's the delivery and the relationships and like, you know, the, the effectiveness reinforces it. Right. So, you know, when I look at you know, people who come to me and people have new ideas all the time, which is great. You know, I always think about like, okay, five years from now, like what's sustainable for us? We grounded all of our language in high intensity interval training, which really can see different pieces of equipment come and go. Mm -hmm. um, so if something amazing new comes out, we can fold it into what we do. Like, like the fundamentals of what we're delivering doesn't really change fundamental movements don't really change. You know, a squat is a squat and mm -hmm. um, pushing and pulling and, you know, plyometrics. But 
we can, you know, we have the ability to evolve over time as, you know, different devices or technology. I mean, we looked a lot at, do you track, do you do wearables? I mean, there's nothing really out there right now that we felt really effectively measures the holistic workout. So almost nothing measures like lateral movements, for example, but lateral movements are amazing for your overall fitness. Um, and but so that's not tracked on a, on a Fitbit of like how many lateral movements. No, you I mean, I watch my son shake his arm up and down, right. you know, in front of the video games when he's having contests with his friends on his Fitbit. I'm like, <laughs> like it's, he's you're, found, you're he's not found really doing the, anything, right? The, the, the hole in the system. So, um, you know, I mean, I think it is a crowded landscape. I think that, you know, understanding what's going to withstand the test of time is like really understanding, you know, what you're going to, what's going to be your special position that can withstand the test of time and new entrance. Um, in some ways for us personally, like we don't have a low cost business model, which like you can figure out by the fact that we have two highly credentialed trainers in a class mm -hmm. and we cap our classes at 24 people and we have beautiful studios with great real estate. But, you know, we're focused on delivering a really premium experience and a premium value. So as long as we're delivering that amazing experience and results are there for people, whether they're coming in for like a, some emotional benefit or a physical benefit, um, it works. Like it works really well. It's a really solid business. It's really healthy. Um, but unlike, you know, some other studios, like for us operating at like a 30% capacity utilization wouldn't work with, you know, with those dynamics. So in some ways, um, it's like an interesting barrier to entry. You know, it's, just, right, it's sure. harder just to do. So, so when you think about, you've got three studios, you've got two kids, um, you, you seem very happy, um, you know, and then you put your business school hat on and you say like, okay, like I'm, I went to Harvard Business School and I have to create this huge enterprise and, you know, you got to go big or, or go home. And, and it seems like you found a nice niche and you're going to grow it at the pace that you want to. But you know, tell our listeners how, how you think about defining your own success and that's not based on like how many studios you have or how many people work for you because I think that's an important antidote that people need to understand that they can define their own success and they don't have to be the next soul cycle they could be the next fitting room and they could have an awesome life and a great business and, and I think people need to have that reiterated so if you could please do that for us yeah absolutely so right so as I always tell you know my team and other people who ask like I'm ambitious for growth I think it's amazing, but I want to be smart about it. So um, for me, like I'm not in a race to throw up a ton of studios and lose control of the brand or lose the quality of what we're delivering or have to compromise on the credentials of trainers or not being able to fill the studios um, and ending up putting myself you know, into a precarious position. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, I mean, I look at, you know, success for me is like, is my team happy? Are they growing? Are they learning? Are they developing? Do they feel fulfilled? Are my clients happy? Are they developing? Are they growing? Are they accomplishing new personal bests for themselves? Whatever that may be. And I feel like as long as all the forces around me are positive and um, you know, people are feeling satisfied and fulfilled and challenged and they're having fun, it's like I could do this all day every day. That sounds great. Well, thanks for coming on. It's awesome to thanks hear about your story. Me. And uh, we look forward to working with you and visiting your current locations. And I'll be in, in, in the workout and you can critique my, my lateral movements. <laughs> not me. That's not my job. I'm well, just I thought you were going to teach a class on <laughs> April 1st, no? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> All right. Sounds great. Well, thanks for coming on. All right. Thanks. Awesome.